Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us in our series, Easter, The Jesus Way. Jesus is our ultimate example for how we should live our lives. In this series, we are looking at Jesus's ministry, from his calling to his victory over the grave. We are walking alongside his journey to the cross, to his death and burial, and then to his resurrection. Each week, we will be deep diving into chapters 15 through 21 of the Gospel of John, leading us all the way to celebrate Christ's victory over the grave on Easter Sunday. Now let's tune in. Isn't it good to be together today? It is good to be together today. And uh, I want to thank you for being here today because I think when you're going through hard seasons of life, the easiest thing to do is disconnect from the things that can help you and that can bring you peace and can bring you comfort. And I just want to acknowledge and thank you for being here. And I also just want to say um, that in the midst of things that are happening, you're not alone. If we can be praying for you, just know that there is no, um, there's no, um, nothing that you're going through that is beyond the scope of what it is that the Lord wants to do and the Lord wants to meet you here. And so on this week, especially as we set our sights on Easter Sunday, we have much this morning to be grateful for, much this morning to praise, much this morning to offer words of gratitude and thanksgiving to God for this morning. And as we reflect upon his goodness today, I hope and pray that he would meet you in this place and that he would remind you how good he is and how close he is to you. Now, maybe you've come to realization of this, that one of the most basic human truths in life, one of the most basic human truths in life, generally speaking, is that it's pretty easy for us to wrap our mind around this truth. Once something is finished, it's finished. Maybe it's a sitcom that you really enjoy, and if you followed it for years, and it comes to the final season, and the show ends, and you realize the story is over. I've got to find something new to watch. They're not bringing this back unless it's some, you know, in syndication, or I can watch Friends forever. I mean, it's on all the time, 24-7, but once the story ended, it was over. Maybe you have those moments where you're a sports fan and, and there's a clock or a number of innings that happens in a game. And if you're not watching March Madness right now, both on the women's side and the men's side, it is fantastic because once the clock ends, there is a winner of that team. When you head home from work at the end of the day, you know, even if you have work that you have to catch up on at night, there's something so refreshing about knowing I don't have to go back to that place until tomorrow morning. It is finished. Or when you hear a pastor say amen, you're thinking to yourself, praise God, they're done. Although I have been known to get excited and continue on with a miniature sermon at the end of the message. I'm not going to do that today. But the core truth generally that's agreed upon is that an ending is an ending. And then there's the Easter story. On this Palm Sunday, this message is going to conclude today with Jesus in the tomb. In John chapter 19, you're going to see that's how the story ends. No shockers, no surprises here today. The story ends with Jesus in the tomb. But we do not walk away today with any sense of understanding that that's the end of the story. And this week is all about reflecting upon what happened because of the death of Jesus and what that means for us as we set our sights next Sunday on Easter Sunday to be anticipating the goodness and the mercy of God to bring alive Jesus to show us that he can conquer everything in our life. It's an ending that isn't really the end, and I'm so glad you're here today as we get to unpack these truths. In fact, John chapter 19 is where we're going to be headed for the next few minutes, and you're going to see these words up here on the screen. 
And you can follow along with me. If you have a mobile uh, device, hop on the app and follow along with me in John chapter 19, picking up in verse 1. So then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns, and they put it on his head. And they clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. And once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. And when Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. And as soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from, he asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. We're told here in John 19 that Jesus was flogged, a crown of thorns was placed on his head that the crowd mocked him with this title, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. Pilate himself emphatically shared with this mob of people, I find no charges against him. He was being punished for actually doing nothing wrong, but the crowd wanted his death. And so their roar was crucify, crucify him. Isn't it interesting that on this Palm Sunday, we reflected on Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. The crowd was yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were throwing down their cloaks. They had palm branches and they were waving in worship of him. And it was just a few short days later that their cries of Hosanna changed to crucify. Even though he had done nothing wrong and Pilate attempts to absolve the responsibility and he goes to Jesus and he says, you need to speak to me. You need to work with me. You need to give me something because I have the power to save you or I have the power to put you to death. And Jesus responds with a truth that you and I can draw great strength from today. Great purpose, great meaning in our life. Back to verse 11, Jesus answers Pilate, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Ouch. (laughs) You have no power over me, Pilate. That wasn't given to you from above. And what does that lead us to this morning? It leads us to this great truth as you see her on the screen. Maybe you want to write this down. Maybe you want to reflect upon this. The power of the world is never greater than the power of Jesus. The power of the world is never greater than the power of Jesus. No matter how much power, no matter how much influence it may seem like the world has. And don't get me wrong. There's a lot of power out there. There's a lot of evil out there. There's a lot of spiritual forces in the the evil realm, but the power of the world, the institutions of the world, the systems of the world, they will never be greater than the power of Jesus. And it's impossible for all the systems of the world to wield more power than Jesus. Now, when you talk to people or maybe when you scroll social media or when you reflect upon this yourself, it's easy to believe that the power of the world is greater than the power of the Jesus, the Jesus, or that the verdict is still out or that the story is not fully developed quite yet. Yet all of the things happening around us are never more powerful than him. So how do I respond to that? Well, first, first I've got to stop and acknowledge Jesus is more powerful, and the world may never acknowledge that. The first century world didn't acknowledge that. And if we're waiting and expecting for all of the institutions of the world to acknowledge that Jesus is more powerful than them, we'll probably be waiting a lifetime. So what does that mean for me? It means that I go then and live it out. 
that I go and live out the message of the gospel, that I go talk about that message. That's why the power of your personal testimony is second to none. When you talk about what Jesus has done for you and you talk about his goodness in your life, you have that story to share and that personal story of transformation of what God has done in your life is what the world looks at as a beautiful affirmation that the God that you're following that gave us Jesus Christ, his son, can be trusted and can be um, the one that we depend upon in the midst of all that we're going through. You know, there is so much power when you find a group of friends and you tell them, I've been through some really, really bad seasons of life, and God has been with me in every one of those. There's power in that testimony, whether the world would acknowledge that or not. And so as you see here on your screen, you and I are presented with a choice as well. We must decide then whether to draw our hope from Christ, who is perfect and holy, or to draw our hope from the world that's broken and sinful. It's a choice. I have to decide, do I want to draw my hope from Christ who is perfect and holy or from the world that is broken and sinful? Go back to the text in verse 12. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. And when Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and set him down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. And it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews, but they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. And finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. See, Jesus was in their physical midst. He had performed some amazing miracles, and in his life he had never sinned. He had never lashed out against his accusers. He wasn't a normal human who responded like you and I would, but instead of trying to find another way, Jesus says, I know that this is the fulfillment of God's plan for my life. And this group of Jewish leaders are saying, no, we don't want that king. We already have a king. His name is Caesar. We're good. We don't need anyone else. Maybe this story sounds familiar to you. Maybe you've had those moments in life where you say, I know that Jesus wants to be my Lord, and I know that he's holy, and I know that he's set apart, and I know that he's never sinned, and I know that he's probably trustworthy, but instead, I'm going to trust myself. Or you think about Jesus owns the cattle of a thousand hills, and I know that he can be trusted, with everything in my life, but instead of trusting him with, I don't know, let's say my own, um, I'm going to trust, I'm going to trust my own personal bank account more than I trust him, or I'm going to trust my own skill set more than I trust him. You think about the Lord has put government and institutions and leaders in place, keeping in mind they don't have more power than him. He gave them their power, but instead of trusting Jesus as King and Lord, it's really easy for us to say, no, I want to trust all those other things. I'm going to trust the guy who's flawed. I'm going to trust the lady who is broken. I'm going to trust myself. Now, does that mean that you're a terrible, messed up person? Absolutely not. It means you're, check your pulse, normal. If you've ever trusted the world more than you've trusted Jesus, prognosis, normal. It's what we do. It's what we default to. It, it, it doesn't matter that we know that the world and the institutions of the world are really messed up. We still trust them more because when we lean into the sin in our life, of which we are all saved from sin by the grace of God, that sin in our life leads us to a place where we like to trust poor substitutes, opposed to trusting the one who is holy. 
and write. It's kind of like if you're going to have work done on your house and you go to Yelp or Google reviews or Facebook or whatever the case might be. And you're like, I need some work done on my house. Give me some help. Who do you trust? And let's say 27 people say, you've got to go with Bob's building. He's reliable. Bob is the man. He shows up on time. He's amazing. His prices are awesome. We loved the work that Bob's builders did for us. And then you have 27 other people that chime in and they say, use anybody but Tom's builders. Because Tom's builders, they stole from us. They didn't really tell us a price. They weren't really reliable. We were unhappy with the work. Tom and his team lied to us. Now you're confronted with a choice. Who are you going to go with, Bob or Tom? You're going with Bob every day. Just because the testimony of all these people said, Bob is good. Stay clear of Tom. You're not going to trust Tom over Bob solely because you're thinking, "Mm, I don't know, maybe all those other people are wrong. But yet when it comes to life and when it comes to eternity and when it comes to things that really matter the most, how quick we are to trust poor substitutes, how quick we are to trust someone that really can't be trustworthy or something that can't really be trustworthy. When as Jesus died for the sins of all humanity so that we could trust him and so that we could grow in him and so that we could place our faith in him and him alone. And there's so much that's so significant about the death of Jesus. And as you reflect upon that this week, my prayer is that this would never be lost on you, that the significance of the death of Jesus would never be lost on you and that you would take some opportunities this week to reflect upon the truth that Jesus is Lord over all and he yearns for all to come to repentance. Jesus yearns for the entire world to come to a loving knowledge of him, to place your trust in him, to place your hope in him. When you go back to the text, back in verse 19, Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. And the chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. At some point, if I'm watching this unfold in real time, I wonder if my heart would have begun to change. I wonder if I would have seen in the moment, Jesus is not backing down on his message. Even though the accusers are saying, don't put king of the Jews, he's not the real king of the Jews, put on his inscription, the one who claimed to be king of the Jews. How powerful is it knowing that the very men who nailed that inscription to the cross, the very men who nailed Jesus to the cross, were the very people that Jesus came to die for. In your brokenness and in your sin and in your flawed nature, Jesus died for you. And there was no other way for you to be made right. Jesus doesn't say, you know what? Enough is enough. There has to be another way. Hail Caesar. That's not what Jesus says. It's what the crowd was getting him to do. But yet he took the abuse as a testament to all who were present and for all who would hear about the story in the years to come to show how necessary his death was so that all could come to repentance. He died for all and he is Lord over all and yearns for all to come to repentance. And that power and that message, I pray that that gravity is heavy on you today. Heavy on you as you reflect upon his death and as we set our sights on celebrating his death resurrection in the weeks to come. When you look at Jesus' life, he saw his mother. He saw his disciples. He also knew that there were two thieves on either side of him, people who had actually committed crimes. And in the midst of all of that, the mocking continues. 
And Jesus takes his last breath as recorded in verse 30. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And I pray that if you know Jesus today, that this will profoundly impact you. And if you don't know Jesus today and you don't have that growing relationship with him, I pray that today would be the day that you understand what it is that he has done for you and that you would step up and say, I want to follow him and I want to be all in for the purposes of the Lord. Today would be a day that we can say, I want to trust him more and more. In fact, I hope that this is true for each and every one of us. If Jesus has changed your life, your life will most definitely change. If Jesus has changed your life, your life will most definitely change. Your life will change. It, it has to change when you meet Jesus. I mean, go back to the text. You're going to see an example of this. In verse 38, scroll down. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. And he was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. And Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. And taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it up with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. Now, we're told that this guy named Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea comes and takes the body of Jesus, but he's accompanied by this man named Nicodemus. And this is a detail that you could really easily gloss over. Perhaps you guys are familiar with John 3.16. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life or have eternal life. If you go back to John chapter 3, you'll take note of who Jesus made this statement to. That statement was directed to this guy, Nicodemus. It's recorded right there in John chapter 3. But if you go back to verses 1 and 2, John chapter 3 verses 1 and 2, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Here you have this Pharisee, this member of the ruling council, Nicodemus, a smart, important person, and he's drawn to Jesus, and he wants to know more about Jesus. But obviously, as a religious leader, he was under constant scrutiny. And so what does it say in the text? When did Nicodemus go to see Jesus? Did he go in the light of day? Did he go on a beautiful sunny day, blue skies like today? No, he waited until the sun went down. And he waited till all the other religious leaders had gone to bed. They were done judging everybody, being legalistic all day. They had put in a full day's work of judging everyone. <laughs> and they are calling it quits for the day. And Nicodemus sneaks out in the middle of the night. We're told he goes at night and acknowledges who Jesus is and says, I want to know more about you. And Jesus gives him this truth and gives him this hope that I did not come to condemn the world, but rather to save the world through me. And in the face of the ridicule, Jesus is now on the cross. People have thought that this was so silly. The world didn't understand it. And who shows up with Joseph of Arimathea to prepare Jesus's body for burial? Nicodemus. He had encountered Jesus and Jesus had changed him. See, Nicodemus was a smart man. This room is filled with smart people. Nicodemus was a cultured man this room is filled with people who operate in, in our culture and who are leaders in our society. Nicodemus was a man who could have easily relied on all the worldly wisdom 
just like you and I can. Nicodemus had at his disposal intellect and a bunch of rules. It sounds eerily familiar to our lives, doesn't it? But Nicodemus said, instead of deciding to look like everybody else, I'm going to step up and identify with Jesus and say, I want to be a part of the story because Jesus changes my life. Jesus has changed my life, and my hope and prayer is that the same would be said of us, that we would say, I'm with Jesus. I acknowledge that he is the Lord, and I acknowledge that he is good. And ultimately, in verse 41, we're reminded that at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid, and because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. This morning, we're reflecting upon the cross. We're reflecting upon the cross where Jesus died. And when we think about that cross, when we think about that crucifixion of Jesus, perhaps that leads you to be overwhelmed. I know it does me as well. I get overwhelmed when I think about what he has done. And I get overwhelmed when I think about the sacrifice of his life for my life. And perhaps we look at the cross and we think, what was an instrument of death? Jesus turned into an instrument of life. What was an instrument of death, Jesus turned into an instrument of life. We have some really smart kids in our life, really smart kids in our ministry, and sometimes some of our preschoolers and elementary students, they'll be hearing this story, and they will ask me questions like that. Pastor Jason, if Jesus died on the cross, why do we wear a cross on a chain around our uh, neck? Why do we have a cross? Uh, why, why, do, why are these things that we display in our house? And the simplest way that I know to answer that question is what was an instrument of death from the world's perspective? Jesus said, I have made an instrument of life. He took that cross so that we could have life. He endured that pain and he did it because he loves us. And as we wrap up today, I know that you're not used to stories where the ending changes. We like stories that have endings, closed chapter, new chapter. Next week, however, we open the chapter that changes everything. And I pray that you'll sit in that this moment and that you'll reflect this week upon the sacrifice of Jesus and that you'll draw strength from him and that you will realize what he has done for you. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with someone in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.